Welcome to Sunday service on this beautiful morning. We also want to welcome all those who are watching online. Uh, These Sunday services now go out around the world and people watch them from all over. It's a wonderful way to share together. I'm going to read from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries that show the similarity between the teachings of Jesus in the the, uh, Holy Bible and the teachings of Krishna and the Vedas in the Bhagavad Gita. This is called Abiding in God this week. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Yogananda often emphasized, more often to his disciples than to the general public, but also to everyone generally, for it was a universal teaching, the importance of attunement. For divine understanding cannot be created, it must be perceived. To the disciples, Yogananda spoke of the importance of attunement with the Guru. To others, he urged the importance at least of attuning oneself to higher consciousness. Can an eagle rise without support from the sustaining air? Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. How can we abide in him? Jesus said, If my words abide in you, by words he meant not only his spoken words, but his vibrations, his consciousness, of which the words are only an expression. We must abide by the teachings, but we must also absorb those teachings into ourselves, that they become our own experience. For disciples of this path, the more in their their hearts they live consciously in the presence of the masters, the more they will find divine presence living within them. And for all truth seekers, whether disciples or not, The more they live sustained inwardly by the awareness of God's presence, the higher they will find themselves soaring in wisdom and joy. For the Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, I am the source of everything. From me all creation emerges. Blessed with this realization, the wise, awe-stricken, adore me. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. 
to welcome you to our Sunday service. And this morning, I want to give a special welcome to a dear friend, Bhaktan. Please stand, Bhaktan. He and his wife, Mantrini, and their daughter, Sabina, have just moved here from our community in Assisi, where he was one of the early members and has lived there for decades. And now they've moved back. They, his wife is American. Bhaktan is... In, I know, not really. You're everything. <laughs> and we're so happy to have them with us. Thank you, Bhaktan. So do extend a deep welcome to make him feel at home here. And also, as I look around, it's very touching to me because we'll be celebrating tomorrow, the 4th of July, the birth of this great nation. And we have people, dear friends and gurubais, visiting from Spain, from Mexico, from Slovenia, from India, uh, from the East Coast, <laughs> not really a different country, though it, sometimes it seems like that. Um, and we just want to, it's such a little microcosm of this great country of America, who from China we have friends visiting too, um, who this great motherland of America that has opened its doors to people of all races, all nations, and says, make your home here. You are welcome. This is your country. And with Master's ideal of World Brotherhood Colonies, this is also trying to recreate that. So let me start by reading from our Guru's beautiful whispers from eternity, this prayer poem. This is called Demand for Union with the Almighty. O Father, behold me through the pores of the sky. Smile at me through the twinkling stars. Strengthen me through the sun. Calm my feelings through the moon. Caress me through the breeze. Love me through my love. Throb in me through my heart. Breathe thine immortality through this mortal frame of mine. Speak through my voice. Help others through my hands. Use my mind to inspire them. Breathe through my breath. For within this fragile viola, thou alone canst sing thy eternal, complete song. So, as we were saying, the 4th of July, is we celebrated for two reasons in the Ananda communities worldwide. One, it's the birth of America, 1776. But a mere 200 years later, a little more, 1969, a little less, Ananda Village was born, the first of Master's World Brotherhood communities that are dedicated to providing an environment for people Every sincere seeker, no matter what background or language or race or 
anything, any outward definition. This is a place where people can come to find God, to seek God, to support each other in their search for God. And in large part, I want to dedicate this talk to Ananda's founder, Swami Kriyananda, who was, as we know, a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda. But when we weave together this concept of abiding in God, attuning to God, Swami was able to create a global work for the upliftment of humanity simply by his attunement with his guru. It was not, as we read in the uh, reading, it was not created of his mind, this movement. It was perceived in his soul through his attunement with his guru. And in 1948, in, of all places, Beverly Hills, Yogananda gave uh, declarative, emphatic statement of the vision of rural brotherhood communities. And as we know, I hadn't planned to do this, but here we are in this amphitheater. Master said, youths go north, south, east, and west to cover the earth with little colonies based on plain living and high thinking. And Swamiji was there, and he heard that. And there were others there too, but they didn't hear it. Maybe they heard it with their ears, but they didn't hear it with their heart because he was the one who went forth and put out that soul call to youths. And we came from north and south and east and west, and we still come and we and with growing numbers all over the world to create these communities. But it was Swamiji who, through his abiding in Master, not just in the words, but in the vibration, in the consciousness, he was able to create something out of nothing. And yesterday, we had a wonderful panel. If you weren't able to come, it was videoed and recorded. Do watch it. And we had members who had been instrumental in founding different aspects of Ananda's work, of our apprentice program, which became the Karma Yoga program and the training of new people, of our education for life and the schools that have gone forward, of the Sharing Nature Foundation, which has brought a new way of seeing God in nature to people all over the world, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, and of the communities movement that started here at the village and then spread from colony to colony center meditation group. And one by one they came. And yesterday people spoke of this. And it, I was so moved because there was Swami. He was the vine coming off, the branch coming off the vine of Master. But everyone who spoke and all who have come were the tendrils that have come off that branch of the great vine of master's consciousness and it goes on and on with increasing power and with the increasing ability to bring master's consciousness out into the world and so we can think of america when you read the history those founding fathers were great men of god 
they tuned into a vision. In fact, there's a beautiful article. You can probably find it on the Internet. It's Someone sent it to me, The Visions of George Washington. And he perceived what this country was going to be. He didn't create it in his mind. He didn't think, oh, maybe we'll have a lot of states and they'll come together. There'll be three branches. It wasn't like that. It was a vision of a new way of life in a new age. And then within that, 200 years later, Master was putting out that call. I shared this story yesterday, but I found it very moving, very brief. friend of ours in Seattle, Navriti, just told us this last weekend when we were there. When she was a little girl, she was six years old, living in Minnesota. Her family were Lutherans, knew nothing about yoga, meditation, swamis, autobiography of a yogi. But there she was, six years old, March 1952. This is when Yogananda left his body. And her mother just happened to look in the newspaper and said to Navriti and her sister, hmm, this Swami, this Paramahansa Yogananda, he just died. And he was a great spiritual teacher from India. And Navriti said when she heard that, she just felt a shockwave go through her. And her sister was there, has no memory of it. And her sister just has a perhaps an ordinary life. But that vibration that went out, and Navriti said, I remember that day from that time on, and I knew it was going to be the direction my life was to take. And many of us, I, I too have a, not exactly that, but a memory as a child of my first seeing an advertisement for autobiography in a magazine. I, I couldn't even read, so I must have been, I don't know, three or four years old. But I remember looking at that picture in a magazine advertising and staring at that picture. And so that, that vibration went out. And the more we can abide in that vibration, in that consciousness, the more that energy can move forth. And it's a time particularly now in the world where people need hope. They need to be reassured that there is meaning in life. I read in the news yesterday or the day before that uh, Eli Weisel, passed away. He was when he was a Holocaust survivor was uh as a young boy. But that experience, unlike some others who had gone through that terrible, terrible dark time, that experience took away his faith. It took he was a bitter man, and I was sorry to see the things he had said. But then you read the life of Anne Frank, who said, In spite of everything, I believe in the goodness of humanity, and my faith in God still exists. And so right now we need to put out the vibration strongly that so that people can, their faith can be restored, their hope in humanity can be restored. The darkness that seems to be ubiquitous now, it's just but a moment. It's a moment and the darkness cannot prevail because the light of God is behind everything. And man can pull the shades down and say there is no light, there is no hope, there is no goodness. But those shades, the light still is pouring 
through that window, and someday someone will lift that shade, and they will say, but look, how can you, can't you see the light? Can't you see that that presence is there? And so for all of us to be beacons of strength and hope, not in and of ourselves, but because we are tendrils of that vine, and that vine came from that branch, and that branch is a part of the only reality, which is the light of God, and that's the energy that we are a part of. So this is such an important concept that it's only from God that all this comes. And anything that we can do of value is really only has uh, exists because of the power of God flowing through us. And Swami, again, was such a remarkable example of this. After he would give him, we had the great good blessing, the wonderful fortune of being with him for many, many years and hearing hundreds and hundreds of his talks all over the world in different languages. He could lecture in Italian and German and French and Spanish and uh, a little bit in Bengali. But uh, just, but he always, the, the secret of who he was was that he never felt he was the doer. He said, it's just master. Master is the only thing that's coming through me. And he would say sometimes when he would be, someone be giving him this very long-winded laudatory introduction, he, he said he would feel like a little mouse running out on the stage and everybody was looking for this great lion and he was just... but. That was his greatness, and that's why God could come through him, because he never felt he was the doer in anything, in the music he wrote, in the books he wrote, in the communities he founded. And some, oh, maybe 10 years ago, Swamiji was still alive at the time. We had a visitor, uh, a Swami Shankarananda from Rishikesh, who's part of the Kriya Yoga line, a disciple of uh, Swami Sri Teshwar, very fine man who has a Kriya Yoga ashram in Rishikesh. And we were showing him all around. And at one point he stopped and he said, how did Swami Kriyananda do all this? And then he paused and said, oh, I know. He didn't do it. God did it. And that's whatever you see here that inspires you or is of beauty on any level, it's because God did it. And there are many little instruments, many little willing hands and hearts and so forth that helped. But it's such a beautiful way to live. And again, we watched Swami. We were sharing stories yesterday, and sometimes he would make uh, give us directions or uh, launch off in a new direction that seemed totally illogical. In fact, a little wacko. But we just said, we trust him. We trust his attunement with the guru. And in that, it always was exactly the right way to go. And it, it, it gives you the faith to just go forth in life. And even if things seem to be crumbling all around you, you just think, God's in charge. It'll all work out. And I can't tell you the number of times in Jyotish in my life where we've been involved in projects and it just seemed like it was going to be a complete disaster. But if we just kept moving forward, 
God was there to catch us because we were doing it for him and he was doing it through us and he was making it all happen. So then we need to also consider a beautiful point in the reading from the rays where Swami says, for disciples, attune yourself to the guru. But even if you're not a disciple, tune yourself to God. Now this question, well, what's the difference? If God, guru, what's the difference? And for those who are drawn to, who have the blessing of being drawn to a true guru, a sadguru, they say this is the greatest blessing that any soul can receive. Because what is the guru? If God is everywhere, what is the need and what is the role of the guru? Some years ago, Jatish had, the, again, the great blessing of going to have darshan with the great saint Ananda Moima in India with Swamiji. And this was in the early days of Ananda, early uh, 70s. And everyone knew they were going. Nalini went also. And, uh, and so many of us sent malas and prayer beads and different things to Ma to be blessed. And so there was quite a bundle of them. And so they kind of put them down in front of Ananda Moima and, and she, who was just really an incarnation of Divine Mother, so light, so whimsical, so free. And she said, why do you bring these things to this body to be blessed? God's blessings are shining always, everywhere. But she said, but since you have brought them, I will bless them. And then someone asked her, well, will you come to America? And she said, I'm always in America. Wherever my devotees are, there I am. So she never came in her body, but she came through her devotees. And so the guru, we need to understand the role of the guru in in our lives and in relationship to the divine blessings that are always showering down. God, it's the spiritual law that God has created that it is only through the intercession of the guru that the soul can find freedom. And that's why it's such a blessing to tune in to a great guru. And if you don't have a guru, if you're visiting, and if you haven't yet done it, read Autobiography of a Yogi, the great catalyst for a spiritual revolution in our times. But the guru is given to us in a personalized form, not just to one person. Yogananda was a world avatar. Swami said, I feel like he was the avatar of the age in which we live. But nevertheless, he is the guru is the personal guide for any individual, every individual who reaches out to him for his guidance and help. And so to the guru is there, and sometimes for me, I, I've been a disciple of Master since 1969, so it's 47 years now. Uh, but sometimes I look at his picture, and it's almost like I see my life as a movie and, and in his eyes, and it's like you thought that was a really hard time in your life. You were really struggling there. You didn't understand what was going on when that happened. But I was always there. 
just that the the video, the film of my life moving through the eyes of the guru, and that's the truth. No matter what happens, what loss we face, what suffering we go through, the Guru's grace is always there like a subterranean stream, nurturing the garden of our life, watering our roots, so that we always are protected, always are guided. It doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. Bad things do happen. But that doesn't mean we don't find the strength to rise above them and to understand them in the right way. And so to abide in the guru, to tune in with his consciousness, to walk in that way so that everything you do, you're not tied up in your mind, well, shall I do this now? What about this? What's going to happen if, if he gets sick or she dies or whatever it might be? But just to say, Master Guruji, let me feel your power there with me, no matter what happens. And let every decision I make, every thought that I have, let it reflect. Let it reflect your consciousness. Swami said towards the end of his life, I used to pray that every one of my thoughts, every one of my actions would be in tune with you, Master. And he said, then I came to realize that wasn't enough. My goodness, that wasn't enough. He said, I wanted there not to be any part of me, thought, feeling, action, idea, breath, that wasn't thine, that wasn't yours, Master. And towards the end of his life, again, we knew him when he was a dynamic world lecturer, and we knew him when there was nothing left but love for God and bliss. And it was so beautiful to behold a life well lived in God. So the the branch comes from God, manifests in this world in the form of the guru to guide the individual disciple and devotee to answer their questions. And the more we live in our, our lives in such a way that that's all we want, just to be, to feel that vibration. And maybe we'll make mistakes. No big deal. The mistakes in life are little. The big things are remembering God. And all the details will take care of themselves. And so, as we celebrate the birth of this nation, the 4th of July, the birth of Ananda, and celebrating it, in the awareness that the world is troubled now, that hatred and violence and darkness are having a field day, nevertheless, the light of God can be brought to this earth by sincere people. And I'll close with one little story that happened a few years ago, a number of years ago, when we were on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. There were from Ananda, and we were visiting many places associated uh, with the great religions there, Judaism and Christianity, and yet there was tension in the air. And we, they took us out to a place, um, the name? Megiddo? No, not Megiddo. Um, anyway, out in the desert, out in the desert, and... It's, according to Revelation, it's this place where the last great battle will begin. And it's just a ruin now 
But there, archaeologically, there are seven ancient civilizations, one under the other, in this place. Just to give you a perspective, civilizations have come, civilizations have gone. And we stood there in these ruins, and it's in the middle of the desert, the Sinai Desert. And as we stood there, we were holding hands, and the military jets from the Israeli army were going over quite low, and they were just flying over our heads. And one could feel so much in that place. And we held hands, and we were chanting Om for world peace. And as we chanted it, I could perceive in my mind's eye two great beings of of astral beings, one might say, of light and darkness. And they were in a struggle, and you know, like arm wrestling, standing up. But they were, one was trying to overpower the other, but they were balanced at that point. But I felt as we chanted Om that our sincere desire for the light to prevail strengthened the being of light. And so you can think, what good can we do? What good can our prayers do? There are forces at play in this world that are much greater than we know. Maybe we can't see them with our eyes, but we can support them. And we can, because God dwells within each one of us. We are not little insignificant beings. As Master said, I see you all as beings of light. And if we consciously put out that light, the balance in the struggle of light and darkness, we can add to that balance. We all need to own our strength now. We all need to own our ability to be channels of the light. And this is why we are living in this time. We will live to see better times. There may be worse times before that, but we will live to see better times. But we must be part of the wonderful tree of life that is spreading its wings now, spreading its branches now. And even if we're the most frail little leaf at the end of, those, of that tree, nevertheless, we are part of the tree of life, the tree of light, the tree of God's consciousness. So let us share that hope and that belief and that faith in our hearts let it come in our meditation. Let it come in our prayers. Let it come through everything we do, planting a garden, cooking a meal, going to work. There's nothing to which we cannot bring the light of God if we understand our own capacity to be channels of God's love and light into this world. Mm -hmm.